sermon text this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Oh Lord, we do thank you for another day to hear your word preached. We do thank you for the gift of faith that us, a gift that is mysterious and miraculous. We do pray for those who do not have the gift of faith, those who are in rebellion, those who are spiritually disturbed in our midst. We do pray that you have grace and mercy upon them. We do appreciate Dan's words. We do pray that you be with Dan, give him boldness and faithfulness to the word. We do ask that you guard him with all come back to Hebrews. Let's remember where we were in Leviticus. We were dealing with, in Leviticus, all these passages about what it meant to be unclean and what it meant to be clean. Like the pictures of sin, the picture of leprosy. How leprosy was this contagious thing that would affect people and you had to put them out and that there was all these rituals to make the the unclean clean. And in the emphasis in the last chapter, even of how, how it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And so we have all this teaching about uncleanness, and then we come to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 is what the clean actually look like. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. In, in chapter 10, it's talking about the uncleanness. It warns you about things like those who travel under the blood of Jesus Christ. It'll be a lot worse than just being unclean. But Hebrews 11 is saying you can be clean, and here's what it looks like. Not in a, not in a, in a ceremonial sense, but in a real sense. Here's what it looks like to be clean. Here's what it looks like to have faith. Here's what it looks like to believe in the true and living God. It manifests itself in your life. Faith is what we base our decisions on. That's what every man bases their decision on. It can be faith in the government. It can be faith in the goodness of man. It can be faith in a false God. It can be faith in prayer. It can be faith in chance. It can be faith in all kinds of things. But the faith that will conquer the world is faith in the true and living God. Faith in the one who made heaven and earth. So everyone lives according to their faith. So everyone, that faith has important consequences. And those who do not see invisible things, the only thing that they can have faith in are visible things, the things they can see, the things that are happening around them. But everyone lives according to their faith. And even that false faith, 
it can have real impacts on the world. You look at Alexander the Great. He was sure he was supposed to conquer Asia, so he goes and conquers Asia because he's sure. He has faith. Napoleon has faith is why he conquers Europe. Elon Musk has faith, which is why he created this company that creates electronic vehicles and this, 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 this spaceship that goes up and that can land again. All that is because he, had, he believed something. Faith really has an impact. But the faith that changes the world is not just random faith. Faith in how brilliant you are. Faith in how powerful you are. Faith that the, the, the gods, the oracles of Delphi said that you would conquer the world. The faith that actually conquers the world is the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If faith can, without any sound basis, can make such huge changes in the world, how much more should faith that has a true basis in God, how much more should that change the world? In other words, how much more, if we have true faith here, how much more should we change the world than these other people that have faith in false things, faith in false gods? How much more should having faith in the true and living God affect the world when faith in these false things affects the world. So again, remember what this chapter follows. This chapter follows after explaining why the new covenant is a better covenant. Because we have better promises, because we have a better high priest, because we have a a more full discovery, a more full disclosure of the covenant of grace, because of all these things, we shouldn't read this chapter and go, well, yeah, they could do that, but what about us? We should read this chapter and say, if they can do that, what should we do? What should we be able to do? Because we've been given far more than they had. And to whom much is given, much is expected. We should not sit back and think, well, they did those things. What should we do? We should go, how much more should we do than a man like David did? What happened right before this is in Hebrews 10, 29 through 31, it also gives a warning of, what it means to be unclean, what it means to not walk by faith, where you're professing to be part of Israel, but you're not really part of Israel. In verses 29 through 31, of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Since this is a better covenant, since this has better promises, since we have a better high priest, we better recognize that God has higher expectations of us than the people in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 isn't supposed to be, look at those amazing people. Wow, I wish I was like that. We're supposed to look at those people and say, if they could do that with what they had, what should we do? What should we be able to do? Because we have so much more revelation than they had. We have so much better of a high priest. We have better promises. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on us. If they could do this with what they had, what should we be able to do? Or are we really unclean while we pretend to be clean? 
We're really trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot by making a profession of faith. When we really don't have faith, when we really don't walk by faith, we just walk by sight. Hebrews 10 and 11, just like, like Leviticus 13 and 14 and 15. They were about separating the clean and the unclean. Hebrews 10 and 11 is about separating the unclean and the clean. The verses immediately preceding this chapter on what the Old Testament saints did through faith. The writer had warned in verses 35 through 39, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you need, you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So the writer of Hebrews is going, this is what it looks like to be an unbeliever. You walk by sight, not by faith. To be a believer means that the fact that you believe these things, it affects how you live your life. The just shall live by his faith is what it says in Isaiah. The just shall live by his faith. Do you live by your faith? If you don't live by your faith, you're drawing back. If you don't say, this is what God said, so I'm going to do it, you're drawing back. And God's warning you, you're unclean. And then in Hebrews 11, he gives us these pictures of what it means to be clean. Just like Leviticus made the distinction between the unclean and the clean, these chapters are making... The difference between the unclean who profess Christ, they pull back. They won't actually obey. When the trials come, instead of doing the things that they should do, they pull back. They don't obey. When the opportunities come, they don't do the things that they should do. They pull back. They don't obey. That's what the unclean do. But the clean, God uses to expand his kingdom. The clean walk by faith, and that faith moves mountains. So the writer is going to give a list, not of those who have done things that we can't be expected to do, but those who have done things by faith, by those who have the, didn't have the same revelation, didn't have the same high priest, didn't have the same promises, didn't have the same understanding, didn't have the Holy Spirit abiding in them the same way. So we could say if they were clean, what should we look like? We should not read this chapter and go, how should they, could they do so much? We should read this chapter and say, what's expected of us? So just as God told Aaron that the role of the priest is to separate the clean from the unclean, in Hebrews we've heard who is the unclean, those who pull back from following Christ, those who do not walk by their faith. And now we're going to understand who are the clean. Verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So that word now and I'll apologize up front. I'm going to go through a lot of Greek this morning. The shorter the passage, the more you can deal with every word. So now, that's the word de. 
It's frequently translated but. It's showing some contrast. There's another word, Allah, which, which shows a stronger contrast. So this isn't like a strong contrast, but it is, he's showing contrast, but it's also a conjunction. So he's saying these two are connected together. What he was just saying about drawing back into perdition is connected to the idea that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you draw back, it's because you don't have faith. You don't actually have that substance that's being talked about here. It's creating a contrast between those who draw back and those who walk by faith. And if you walk by faith, you have to have the substance of the things hoped for. Those are the ones that have true faith. A true faith focuses your hope, not on the things of this world, right? God says, if you love the world and the things of this world, then you don't know God. You are not saved. Because he's saying, faith is, you're basing everything on the hope that you have, on the promises of God. Faith is about hope. You believe the promises of God. It says in Romans that Abraham believed the promises of God and it was counted for him for righteousness. And so that's this picture here, is those who have faith, they believe in the promises of God. So what are the promises of God? Well, he said back in Hebrews 9.15, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. That's the hope. The hope isn't in this world. The hope is in the eternal inheritance. Paul didn't go and be shipwrecked because his hope was in this world. He went was shipwrecked. He was stoned and left for dead because his hope was in the eternal inheritance. He trusted in the promises of God. That's why he acted the way that he did. The promise of eternal life. That's the reason for the new covenant. Those who are called receive and believe and trust in the promise of eternal life. So many churches want to preach your best life now. That's what all false teachers preach. They preach some part, some form of we'll fix your problems. That's what Christianity is about. We'll fix your problems on this earth. But that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about believing and trusting in Christ died so that we receive an eternal inheritance. That that promise would be sealed. That's what salvation is about. It's trusting in that promise, believing in that promise. That the way to the Father is through the Son. Not to the way that your life will get better now is through the Son. It's believing that the way to the Father is through the Son. He didn't enter into the covenant to make your life better now. He entered into the covenant so that you would have eternal life. So now faith. Faith is pistis, which means believing, the state of being persuaded. When we think of salvation by faith, it's easy to forget faith must be in a particular thing. It's not just that Jesus Christ died for your sin. It's that he did it for a purpose. He did it so that you would be reconciled to the Father. You have to believe that. You have to believe the promise of eternal life. You have to believe that it's not about this world. Or do you really have faith? Because it matters what you believe. And you have to trust the promises of God to have salvation. 
you have to trust that God said, I will give eternal life to those who believe in my son. Christ died so that man and God could be reconciled, which means the end of death, since it was death that separated man from God through Adam's sin. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The faith is, is in the promise of God, the promise of eternal life. That's what Jesus Christ died for. That's why we have the boldness to enter into the holiest, because it's that picture that we will enter into the presence of the unseen God. That's the promise. That's where our hope has to be. That's where our confession of that hope, we have to hold it fast without wavering. So now faith is the substance that belief in Christ is the substance. That word substance is hypostasis. Hupo means under and stasis means like static. It means like to stand. So, so what's undergirding our faith, what's, what's our hope is standing on, faith is what caused our hope to stand. It caused our hope to not waver. It caused our hope to to be such that we make decisions based on that hope. Because the faith is what holds it up. The faith is what makes it so it doesn't move. It is the foundation of our hope. The faith that we have supports our hope. And so it's just like a building. Like in this building, people drove up and they saw the building. Nobody looked at the footers. They couldn't see the footers. The footers are underneath. That's what the building stands on. The hope is what you see that you know you have footers. The hope is what you see to know that you have faith. The foundation, you don't see the foundation. The way that you know the foundation there is by the building that's built on it. And so faith, the foundation, the way that you know you have faith is you see how you live based on do you trust the promises of God? Is that where your hope is? Because that's what tells you whether you have faith. Not some feeling, not, some, not some, some, some idea that I've said these words, so therefore I'm right with God. If you trust the promises of God, that's where your hope is, and that's how you live your life. That was the end of Hebrews 10. And so Hebrews 11, he's saying, this is what faith is. Faith is that thing that undergirds, that, that is the foundation that your hope rests on. <clears throat> the faith that we have, we can see by the hope that we have. The person who is willing to be shipwrecked, the person who's willing to be nailed to the cross, the person who's willing to, to endure all kinds of things for the gospel, that shows he has a stronger foundation. Just like if you see a skyscraper, you know that skyscraper has a stronger foundation than this building has. Because the size of the hope, the size of the, the, the manifestation 
of that foundation. That tells you something about the foundation. The size of your faith, you see it by how much you operate on your hope. The hope of eternal life rather than the hope of the things in this world. That's how we know whether our faith is strong or weak. It's how much are we looking at the things of this world versus how much are we looking and saying, how do I serve God? What does your hope look like? And you'll know what your faith looks like. So now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Our ability to hope for things, we get a clearer picture of the things hoped for from this chapter. In verse 6, it says, coming to God. That's one of the things that we're supposed to hope for, that we actually come to the presence of God. That's why they did what they did. Verse 10, their hope was that there would be a city that has foundations whose, builders and ma- whose builder and maker is God. That's why they did the things they did. Verse 16, their hope was a better country, a heavenly country. Verse 19, their hope was in the promise of the resurrection. Verse 35, their hope was that by walking in obedience, by doing these things, by conquering, by, by conquering kingdoms, by, by being sawn in two, by all these things, that they, they would have a better resurrection. They would be more prepared to walk before God and say, God, I served you on this earth. Those are the things that are hoped for. Those are the things that tell us what our faith actually looks like. Are those the things you're looking forward to? That's where is where your hope is. That's where their hope was, and they changed the world. And how much more? How much more with the more knowledge, with the more power, with the more revelation we have? How much more do we have a responsibility? Through faith in Christ, through the faith that God gives us, our hope changes, so it's no longer based on this world. It's no longer based on the things of this world. Our hope is because of eternal life. Our hope is for the things of eternal life. And it's the faith, right? It's having that faith, believing who God is, believing the promises of God, believing why Christ came. It's by having faith and trust in that. That's how we can build these other things. That's how we can keep our focus. Because if you don't have that faith so that you ignore the things of this world, if you don't have that faith, then the things of this world will make it so that you can't seek the things of the next world. And so when we see how much is our focus on the heavenly country, how much is our focus on the promise of the resurrection? And the church doesn't teach this much. Even here, I don't think we teach it enough. Because almost every time that I ask somebody when they're entering, joining the church or want to be baptized, what's the gospel? Almost nobody mentions the resurrection, but the promise of the resurrection is the gospel. The rest of it is secondary. The rest of it is the means that God fulfills the gospel. The gospel is that we have eternal life in the presence of God. That's the gospel. Christ dying is the means that you can go into the presence of God. It's what you have to believe. But the good news is that we can be reconciled to the Father. 
and that in our flesh we'll see God. But yet, when people present the gospel, they almost never talk about that. As opposed to Paul says, without the resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, because if, it is not, if your hope is not in the world to come, then you should just enjoy this world. Give what you can out of this world. Faith is what undergirds it. It's what, it's what the foundation is that allows us to look beyond the battles, beyond the things that we have to deal with in this life, beyond the challenges, that we can look and say, these are just, this is like you go on a car trip and, and you get hungry and you have to stop and then you, you run out of gas or you get close to running out of gas. And These are just the things that happen on a trip to get somewhere. That's what all our trials are. They're just incidental. They're incidental because we're seeking eternal life. We're headed someplace. This is just the path. This is just what it's like to be on the narrow path. There will be trials. There will be temptations. There will be difficulties. But we're supposed to keep our mind on the fact that there's a path. There's a place we're going. There's a promise. There's a promise of eternal life. Now think about Abraham. Abraham knew that he was going to die before the Israelites came back, before they'd received the promised land. He knew it was symbolic. But yet all the things that he did, he recognized it was just for a symbol. We have a much greater understanding, much greater revelation. We know the church will. There is one church and God will cleanse his church and he will come and get his church. We understand exactly what's going to happen. So the things that he was doing, it was for a shadow. We're doing it for the real thing. So how much more zeal should we have than Abraham had? So now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. The word translated evidence is only used in two other places in Scripture. One is in Matthew 18 where it says, if your brother offends you, you, go have to, you are to go to your brother and tell him, his fault. That word tell is the same word that's translated evidence here. You're not just supposed to say, I was offended. You're supposed to prove that you had legitimate offense. You were supposed to show evidence. You were supposed to make it clear, this is why I was offended in Matthew 18. And the other place that it's used is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That word reproof is the same word that's used here. It's for reproof. It is for evidence to show, to prove what is righteous and what is not righteous. Faith is what proves to you. It's what causes you to know. It's what demonstrates. It's what makes it plain. It's the evidence of, the, of things not seen. And that word, things, is pragma. It's obviously the word we get pragmatic from. That word means that the things that are done, the deeds that are done, 
So it's saying that it's evidence that things have happened, that deeds were done, that there was activities that happened. This is what faith gives you. It gives you evidence that it's not about this world, that this world is produced by things you cannot see. It's faith that proves that this is not a battle wrestling with flesh and blood. That it's a battle with the powers and principalities of the air. That it's, faith is the evidence. It is what makes you know that it's not just about the physical things. It's not just about materialism. Faith is what makes it so that we can understand what is going on around us. It's faith. Faith that that proves, provides the evidence that we need that God is preparing a place for those who put their hope in Christ and that it's not in this world. Faith is the evidence, right? This is, this is Augustine's quote, which wasn't really from Augustine. He said more in Latin, belief before understanding. But the quote that's attributed to him from that statement is, I do not understand to believe. I believe to understand. That's basically what it's saying here. That faith is the evidence. It is the way that we can now see the things that we couldn't see. It is by faith that we believe and then we can understand. We can understand how the world works. We can understand that it's the unseen things that are driving the seen things. That requires faith. That requires us, God, to open our understanding and open our belief so that we see there is a God who rules in heaven. And since there is a God who rules in heaven, we, can now, we, we now have evidence that there's things that we cannot see that are controlling the world. We can understand how the world works, why things happen the way they do, because there is the hand of the invisible God that's driving it all even what he's doing through Satan and his angels. We understand how Satan is being defeated even when we look around us and he seems to be advancing. It's by faith. It's the evidence that the invisible is what is controlling the visible. Faith proves that there's things behind the scenes that we don't see, that we don't understand, that is what's making it so that the things that are going on around us, it, it's what makes them explicable. Because without seeing the evidence, the things that are not seen, we can't understand the things that we see. But faith is the way, it's the means that we can now look and understand the things that we see. Because of the things that we don't see, we recognize there is a God who is sovereign and in control of all things. So verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And just to keep my streak alive, four is gar in Greek, which means it's assigning a reason, which is one of the meanings of four for English. But this is, in Greek, it is much more about this is the reason. He's going to declare this is the reason. This is the reason that everybody in this chapter had a good testimony. It's because their hope was undergirded by faith. That's why Abraham could leave his country. That's why people would go to their death and be sawn in two. This is why they'd fight with lions. Because their faith was undergirding their their hope. 
So their hope didn't waver because their faith held it firm. It was the foundation. For by it, through the exercise of faith, that's how they had a good testimony. That faith produced hope, and because they had hope, they were bold, and they did things that according to the, to the thoughts of this world, nobody should do. They risked their lives. They were martyrs. They walked by faith and not by sight because they trusted and they believed that the invisible were more important than the visible. The things that what God was doing was more important than the things and it was what was driving the things around them, not the other way around. By trusting in, not, in things not seen, they saw that that was driving the things that are seen. And so because of that, they have a testimony that's recorded for us not so we can ignore it, but so that we can exceed it because we have more knowledge than they have. So by it, the elders, this is the same word, presbyterios, that's used for the leaders of the church. It means those who go before, those who God put in place for others to follow their example. The example of men and women of faith in the scriptures in this chapter were put there so that we could see what faith looks like when we're supposed to when we go back and read the story of Abel it's so we can understand this is what faith looks like in someone's life when we see Enoch that he walked with God and then he was no more this is what faith looks like in somebody's life that's why God put it there so it's in practical terms we can follow after them we can see what these men and women who God recorded for us we can see what their faith looked like so that we can, we can exceed them because we have better promises. We have better, a better covenant, a better high priest. So, but by this, the elders obtained a good testimony. That good, obtained a good testimony is one Greek word, martyrio, the word that we get martyr from. It's a verb that they... That means to testify. The reason that they have a testimony, the reason that we can understand who they are, or the reason that we can understand what faith looks like working out in their life, the reason that we have a record of them is because they held fast. Their, their hope was built on their faith, and so they acted on that hope in a way that God says, I'm going to record I'm going to record how Abel died. I'm going to record how, how Abraham left his country. I'm going to record these things so people can see and understand that it is the invisible that controls the visible. Through the hope they had, that was proved to them by the faith that they had, they were able to do great things. And then those great things testified to the, the power of the faith that they had. To testify the visible was controlled by the invisible. Again, remember how much greater the high priest we have is, how much more revelation we have as we go through this chapter, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this chapter. As we go through this chapter, keep remembering that this is what they did without knowing of the crucifixion of Christ without knowing of the resurrection the way we know of the resurrection, without knowing of, of 
the giving of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Spirit of truth being in them, through all that, they could do these things. So let's not make excuses. Because we have more than they have. We have a better covenant. Remember what it says about John the Baptist, what Christ said in Luke 7, 27 through 28. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of woman, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Everyone who's saved in the new covenant exceeds John the Baptist. How much more should our knowledge, how much more should our faith, how much more should the things that it's based on produce more effect in the world than was produced by these men and women in Hebrews chapter 11? Verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which, were see, which are seen are not made. Let me try that again. So the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So it starts with by faith. And there's, there's, I think, 18 times in this chapter. He starts a section with by faith. This is faith in the date of case, meaning that it's the indirect ob- object. But by putting it first, this is the emphasis of the sentence. This is, in Greek, you change the word order to give emphasis. So he's emphasizing the fact that, that yes, Abel was killed, offered a sacrifice that was a righteous sacrifice. But the important thing we're supposed to know about that is it was done by faith. And so he starts with this one statement. And the statement is so critical because all the rest of them, in the end, they all fall into the same category. It's all because they understand that the visible things are manifestation of the invisible. That it's the invisible things that are more important than the visible. And so as we go through this chapter, that's the thing to recognize. And, and he doesn't go, they understood. He doesn't go, the, the faithful men and women of old, they understood that the invisible things were more significant than the visible things. That's not what he says. He says, we understand that. He's talking to the people who believe. We understand. Anybody who's saved, anybody who's a Christian, this is a basic thing that you must believe in order to be saved. You must believe that the visible flows from the invisible, not the other way around. Because if you don't believe that the visible flows from the invisible, all of, all of Christianity is about being reconciled to the Father. It's about Jesus Christ being the way to the Father. If you don't understand that the invisible are more important than the visible, then there's no point to your salvation. But that's because you don't have salvation. Because you have to trust the promises of God. And the promises of God is the promise of eternal life. That's what we have to believe in. That's what we have to trust in. So when the writer of Hebrews says, we understand this, we understand the invisible things, that the visible things are a manifestation of the invisible things. This is the basic, this is basic faith. This is as basic as you can get. Which is more important, the visible or the invisible? 
you believe that there's a God, if you don't believe that there is a God who though we cannot see him, he is controlling all things and you don't believe in the God of the Bible and you're not reconciled to him. This is the, like the most fundamental understanding that faith gives you is that the spiritual things were before the physical. The spiritual drives the physical, not the other way around. So we understand that the worlds, that word worlds is really eon. So it's not primarily about physical things. It's not like about the planets. When we hear the worlds, we probably mostly think about planets. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about not just the physical things, but all the things that happen. All the things that happen in this world. They're about God, the invisible God, making himself visible. That's what they're about. That the world was framed, the world was put in place. And not just because... As you read the chapter, the things that the chapter is talking about, it's not talking about, you know, Jerusalem's there, Mount Zion's there. It's talking about Abraham went to Ur, Samson did this, this person did this. That's all part of the world because it's not, it's not the physical thing that's talking about here. It's the things that can be seen, which includes the actions and the deeds that those men did. So when we think about the ages, we should think that that God framed the world for the coming of the Messiah, for the things that happened, all those things that happened from Israel leaving Egypt, for all the things that we've been studying through Exodus, all those things happened because the invisible God was making himself known in the visible world. So the worlds were framed. That idea of being framed is that everything was put into its place. The Strong's definition of the world word is to complete thoroughly so everything in the world everything that god's doing every way that he's put all the actions of men together it's all being framed it's all being put together based on an invisible god who we cannot see it's all framed according to the will of god according to his decree So as we go through life and we say, okay, everything is framed. We understand this if we're a believer. We understand that everything is framed based on what God is doing. So that's how you have a hope that you can do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. That's how men could risk their lives. That's how they could be put to death and refuse to repent is because they understood. They understood everything that's happening in this world. It was all put together. It was put in place. It was constructed by a God who we cannot see. But it's by faith that we're able to understand the world around us and what's happening in the world around us because we know the God who ordered it all. Because the worlds were framed by the word of God. And obviously, naturally, when we read the word of God, we think it's talking about Christ. But that's not what it's talking about. That's the logos of God. This is not the logos of God. This is the rhema of God. The rhema of God means the speaking of him. 
So it is that he said things, but the point here is he's talking about why Genesis 1 is Genesis 1. Why it's where the Bible starts. Because this is what you have to believe. This is, this is God starts his testimony with him speaking to show that it's the worlds are framed by the word of God, by his speaking. So in Genesis 1, 3 through 10, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. That's the rhema of God. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divide the waters that were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. The reason Genesis 1 starts that way is because by faith, that's what you have to understand. That light, light is not light. Light is a manifestation of the invisible light. It's a manifestation of the character of God is why there's light. The reason that there's heaven and earth is to show the separation between God and man through the fall. This is why he created it in the new heavens and the new earth. They're all one because he eliminates it. He created all these things because he's framing all the worlds. He's framing creation. He's framing what happens. He's framing all these things. So that we can understand it's the invisible that is what drives the visible. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying this is the basic thing. This is the basic thing that faith causes you to see. That the way the world is, is because God is speaking. That's how it was framed at the beginning and God still speaks now. So what means, what does it mean that when God says, let there be light, that it's really about not the light that we need for our plants to grow and for us to see so we don't stumble around in the dark. That's not the, the primary light. When he says, let there be light, he's saying in the physical world, in the things that can be seen, you can see things that are invisible. Which is explaining like first in John 1, 7 through 10. This man came for witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. The true light is not what comes from the sun. The true light is Christ. Because what is invisible, God spoke so that there would be a physical manifestation so that we could understand the invisible things. We could understand the true light is Christ by the fact that God put light in this world. The true is the thing that can't be seen, not the thing that can be seen. Christ was the true light and is the true light. Even as we turn on a light bulb and we go, that's light. No, that's a shadow. The true light is Christ. The invisible is what makes the visible, or the visible was made so that we can have an understanding of the invisible. 
So God speaking things into existence in Genesis 1, the writer of Hebrews is saying that's very significant. <clears throat> the language of Genesis 1, that everything being framed, the earth being framed, the animals being framed, man being framed, it's all God speaking so that we can know through faith that God ordered the world and he structured the world and he did all these things so that we could understand invisible things. We could understand spiritual things. And so that we can understand it's God that controls the world. The world doesn't control God. So that the things which are seen, not just the physical things, like if someone's walking, it's not just the person, but you see the walking. It's all the things that can be seen. All the actions and not just the, the physical things. Everything that we see in the world, they're not the original source. They're not foundational. They're all based on something else. They're based on a God who spoke to order things so that the visible things would represent the invisible. So that all the things which are seen were not made. They did not come into existence they, didn't, they weren't formed because of things that were visible. Right? This is, this is a fundamental thing. This is the fundamental difference in a lot of ways between Christianity and any other religion. Is in, the, in Christianity, it is all about God, and it is not about man. It is about the invisible things and not the visible things. And all the other religions, they make it about the visible things. That you do this and you'll be acceptable to God. You do that and it's okay. You do that and you're, you're, you, know, you sacrifice this animal and your pagan deity will do this for you. He'll give you victory in war. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is starting with the idea it's the invisible that drives the visible. And the visible can't drive the invisible. Because God framed it. He completely and thoroughly set everything in place so that we would know it's the invisible that drives the visible. The things which are seen are not made of the things which are visible. Inherently, having faith means that we have an understanding that it's not the visible things that are more important. They can't, it's, it's the invisible things. The visible things are a reflection of them having hope in the promises of God and the promise of eternal life in particular. The promise of eternal life is a hope in something you cannot see. And that flows out through everything. That everything in this world is driven by the invisible things because God is the one who spoke and put the world or brought the world into existence. So let me give you... A bunch of applications. I'll just warn you right up front. (laughs) So the first one. So much of the preaching of the gospel is about believing. About believing that being forgiven, you're you're going to be forgiven. And not about the promise. But the gospel is the promise of eternal life. The church has such a focus on temporal life rather than considering that the temporal life is just a whiff of smoke. You know, how many, how many people are there that, that are like, you know, Joel Osteen? Your best life now. 
prosperity gospel. There's so many people who preach that. There's so many people who that is their religion. In Hebrews 11, God's saying they aren't saved because they think the physical things, the visible things, overrule the invisible. The invisible. To have faith, you have to believe in the resurrection. You have to believe that the promise is that you will be reconciled back to God the Father. That Christ is the way to the Father. And that the invisible things are more important because you have to be willing to walk by that faith. And to walk by that faith means that you have to be willing to make sacrifices of visible things to seek the invisible God. That's faith. That's walking by faith. To have faith, you have to be looking for the eternal country. You have to be looking for the heavenly country. You have to be looking for the city whose builder and and maker is God. That's why we obey God, is because he is the one that is controlling all things. And he's the one that promises eternal life. To those who believe. If you wipe out eternal life, there's no purpose for faith. So related to that. You must believe in the promise of God for eternal life. That has to be the faith that you have. That has to be what you're looking for. If you're not looking for eternal life, that's what faith produces. If all you're doing is worried about this life and about this world and the things of this world, then you don't have faith in Christ. You shouldn't think you're saved if you don't understand that Christ came to undo the separation caused by the first Adam so that we could be reconciled to the invisible God. And you must live your life with your eye on the next, which is what it says in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you have hope in eternal life, you cleanse yourself from sin. That's what John says. If your hope is that you will see God, then you cleanse yourself from sin. You can't separate those two. Any more than you can separate that that you have to believe that the invisible things are more important than the visible things. Otherwise, why would you believe in God? Because he says to make all kinds of visible sacrifices. This is simply what true Christians do. Their focus is on eternal life. And so because of that, because they'll know they'll see God in the flesh, they purify themselves. The gospel is about having hope, hope in the promise of the world to come. The one that will have no sin, the one will have no corruption, the one that will have no death, the one that will have perfect light. We don't expect to see those things on this world. We don't seek those things on this world because that's not where they'll be. They'll be in heaven because we do the things in this world because we're seeking a heavenly country.
another application. Faith undergirds having hope. Which means that one of the ways to preach the gospel is to undermine the false faith that people have. These people trust in many things. Everybody lives by the faith that they have. Whatever hope they have for the future, it's because they have faith in something that's undergirding that. And so the only way to get them to look to where there is true hope is usually to knock out the hope that, that's holding up their false, or excuse me, the faith that's holding up their false hope. Because in the end, everybody dies. And their, every false hope dies with them. And so when we preach the gospel, we don't just say, this is what Jesus Christ did. We go, this is what your hope is. But that's a meaningless hope because the invisible things are framed by the by because the visible things are framed by the invisible. So most of the time when we preach the gospel, we have to tear that down. If you preach the gospel to the person without tearing that down, then a lot of times they'll just put another, oh yeah, I hope in this too, but you have to tear down their false hope. You have to tear down their false faith that produces a false hope before they'll see their true hope. Another application we believe to understand. That's really important to recognize the order there. We believe to understand. Faith is the evidence. We cannot produce evidence that will generate faith. Because faith is about trusting in things that are not seen. And any evidence you provide, any evidence you provide, is always something that can be seen. And faith requires you to believe in things that are unseen. So things that are seen, they can be used to validate the evidence of faith. But the visible comes from the invisible, and the invisible will never come from the visible. You know, so those books like Evidence That Requires a Verdict. Starting with the wrong premise. Faith is believing that the visible comes from the invisible. Same reason that carnal man cannot understand spiritual things is they're simply in a different realm. The visible can't produce the, prove the invisible. They're just in a different realm. But the invisible, because it is what's producing the visible, once you understand the invisible, you start to understand the visible. So understanding the invisible must come, or the visible must come from the invisible. That's what it means to believe, to understand. We have to believe in God, who is the one that is sovereign over all things, in control of all things, doing all things. And then we can understand the world around us. When we start to look at the world around us as the end, it will always lead to confusion. Because it's a product, it's not the end. It's what, it's what the invisible produces Another application, if they had a good testimony through the exercise of faith, how much greater should our works be for the kingdom of God? Many of the people in this chapter were doing the things that they were doing for a little piece of land in the Middle East. They saw that little piece of land as representing the heavenly country. Well, we've actually been given authority. Christ received all authority on heaven and earth, and he tells us, therefore... He tells us as an exercise of his authority, we have authority to go through the whole world 
We have the real kingdom of God, not the picture. So how much more responsibility do we have? We're not supposed to look at them and say, look how great their exploits are. We're supposed to look at them and say how much greater our exploits should be because we have better promises, better power. Another application. Arminianism is the belief that the visible is what controls the invisible. They believe that when someone decides that they have faith, that God therefore has to save them. So inherently in Arminianism is raising the visible to control the invisible. And that is the opposite of what this verse says. This verse says the invisible controls the visible, and Arminianism says the visible controls the invisible. It's not how the world works. That's not how faith works. The visible person cannot perfect and complete the invisible work of God. The things that are seen are framed by the word of God, not the other way. Completely and thoroughly, they're made perfect. The work is done. Man cannot control God. As soon as you say that, as soon as you look at that, it has this ripple effect through the world. And it always has. Because as soon as you start to say that man can control God, then you get despots. I mean, that was King James' thing, right? Is that if, if you can't... If man can't control God, then you have no king. You need to recognize that these things are serious doctrines. In Hebrews 11, the writer's going, you have to understand the invisible frames the visible, not the other way around. Another application, carnal man always believes that the visible controls the invisible. It's not just Arminianism, but... All pagan religions, all the sacrifices of the pagan religions, they believe that by physically sacrificing that animal that they can appease the invisible gods. This is what pagan religions are all about. This is what, this is what Islam is about. I can appease the living God if I go and commit jihad and, and commit suicide to expand the kingdom. They refuse to see that they can't control the invisible. But we shouldn't just look and go, oh yeah, pagan religions, Islam. How about the name it and claim it movement? That movement was the visible can control the invisible. That movement is completely contrary to Hebrews 11.3. The prosperity gospel, the seeker-sensitive movement, all these things are saying that the visible, the things that we can see, the actions, the deeds that we do, that they, they're framing the world and that God is not framing the world. Obedience. Obedience to God's commandments. That's how you testify that God is the one who's framing the world, that the invisible is controlling the visible. Believing that the invisible controls the visible, that's, that's what moves mountains. It's when we see that and understand that and operate that way. That's why Matthew 6, 32 through 34, is really a basic statement of how faith works. 
the relationship of the invisible to the visible, Matthew 6, 32 through 34. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Whenever we say that, well, we can't do that, we can't obey that, because it just, I'd get fired from my job if I refused to lie. And we start to seek this world rather than seeking the kingdom of God. Whenever we do that, we're saying that the visible is sovereign over the invisible. We're rejecting Genesis 1, that God framed the world by speaking. So Hebrews 11, another application, Hebrews 11 is going to talk about the positive outcome of understanding the invisible frames, the visible, that, that faith is the is the evidence, or faith is the substance, it's the, it's the foundation, it's the undergirding of our hope and how they work that way. It's because they understood that the visible things were framed by the invisible. And so just like Hebrews 10 11 are showing the clean and the unclean, when you think about understanding that the invisible frames the visible, the opposite of that is Romans 1, 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What the unbeliever does is take the evidence that he has that the invisible frame the visible, and he refuses to see it. Because what it means is it will constrain his behavior. Because of their unrighteousness, he refuses to see it. What the Christian does is he says, no, the visible was framed by the invisible. basis for all the elders who were faithful they understood that the visible was framed by the invisible the unrighteous say they still see it God made it so that they could see it but because they're carnal men because they cannot accept the invisible they turn around and say that the visible framed the invisible When we rightly understand that concept, oh, excuse me, I'm in the wrong place. The reality of the invisible can be known through the visible because it is what undergirds, it is what holds up, it is what framed the visible. So the righteous have to work to ignore the reality that the visible is framed by the invisible. Another application, we should remember the statement in the SLBC, chapter 5, paragraph 2. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, so that there is not anything befalls any by chance or without his providence, yet by the same providence he ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. That's really a a paragraph that is just explaining verse 3. 
just explaining verse 3. It's saying that God is the first cause of all things, that the invisible is what causes everything that's visible. And because of that, it has real effects. Because of that, that's the basis for all the elders who were faithful. They understood that the visible is not what was important. It was the invisible. If we rightly understood that concept and lived properly according to it, we would be like the people at the end of Hebrews 11, where God says they were not worthy of this world. They were stoned. They were sawn in two were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. The men who did that, the women who did that, they did that because they saw the invisible things were far more important than the visible things. That's the true effect of the gospel. That is the true effect where you say it's worth sacrificing everything for the invisible. That's great faith. Great faith is you're willing to sacrifice everything. Christ said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better to enter into heaven maimed than it is to go to eternal hell. God says we're supposed to be willing to sacrifice everything. Because we recognize that the invisible is more important than the visible. Do you recognize that? If you do, that's how the kingdom gets conquered. Another application, all these theories that are out there about creation. You know, like that it's just symbolic of evolution or the the gap theory that says there's a big... (laughs) big jump between Genesis 1-1 where he says let there be light and then where the animals come out or the theory that each day was long periods. Every one of those is based on the same premise that the visible controls the invisible. And it's very easy to go, oh yeah, Christians hold it. No, that's not what Hebrews 11-3 says. He says those who have faith understand that the visible was framed by the invisible. And so when they say the invisible, what God was doing in the scenes, he had to do it based on evolution. He had to do it based on this and based on that. They're all trying to frame the invisible on what they see. But God, the whole point of Genesis 1 is for us to understand that the reason the world was framed by God speaking is so that we could understand that it was God speaking and that the visible world is framed by the invisible. So inherently, all those things that are rebellion against six days of creation, they're inherently, according to the writer of Hebrews, they are inherently in rebellion to having faith. Because faith is understanding that the visible was framed by the invisible. It was framed by God speaking. So it is a big deal. It's a big deal because it puts it puts the creation, the cosmos, in the wrong place in God's order. The cosmos came from God and he spoke it to show, I am the one. I am the one who framed everything. I'm the first cause. 
And as soon as you start to say that, like evolution or like the gap theory or all these things that God couldn't have done it that way, you're flipping everything on its head. Because now all of a sudden you've made the visible more important than the invisible, which means that our battles now should be against what? The visible. But that's not what God says our battles are against. If our battles are against the visible, then we should hate our enemies. If our battle is with the invisible, we can love our enemies. Because our battle isn't directly with them. They're, they're just a casualty in the war. So we walk by faith, considering the invisible to be the driving force of the visible. And that's how we further the kingdom of God. Ephesians six ten through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, withstand, to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The visible battle that we're to wage, the visible battle that all of these people in this chapter waged, it is a visible battle. It is a battle that can be seen, but it's all a manifestation of an invisible battle. When you flip it and you say that the invisible is driven by the visible, then the battle is, is with flesh and blood. But that's not who we're supposed to battle with. I can go to Nigeria where there's, and stand in front of probably 5,000 people in a few weeks that almost every single one of them hates God. And I can stand there and not hate a single one of them because I'm not battling with them. I'm battling with the people that are misleading them, the powers and principalities of the air. When we think that the visible drives the invisible, you have to battle with the people. When you think the invisible drives with the visible, you preach the word of God because that's what beats the invisible. That's the weapon, the word of the, out of the mouth of God. That's the weapon that we've been given. The visible battle that we're to wage, it's all a picture of that invisible battle. So it's by faith in God that we understand that victory is not by visible means. It's not by walking by, to sight, by sight. But it's submitting to the invisible. It's walking by faith. It's walking according to the commandments of the invisible God because the battle we're supposed to be fighting, the battle that all these men and women in Hebrews 11 fought, they fought it because they understood there was an invisible battle and that's what they were to fight. So Abraham could die knowing that he will never come back to the promised land, the physical land that that was promised to him because he understood he would receive the true promised land. How much more are we supposed to know that? How much more are we supposed to understand that? How much more should we be fighting spiritual battles? Because that's where the real battle always is. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We pray that you convict us where we're, we're failing to walk by faith and we walk by sight. Where we're failing to put the invisible things in the right place in the right context, in the right understanding, so that we do properly understand the things that are seen. Lord, help us to do this so that we bring glory and honor to your name.
Grow us in our faith. Let us have a, a bigger hope that's resting on a stronger faith. We ask this in your name. Amen.